welcome to the Diving Podcast. I am Dr. Karen Kogan. I'm the lead psychological services provider for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, also known as the USOPC. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Use our link tree in our Instagram bio to get to sidelinescout.com. Uh, check out their poolside live package at a minimum. That's your video replay system. There's a whole lot more bells and whistles that you can get as add-ons. Um, just make sure you poke around that site, check it out, get hooked up with the best in the business. Also, Cowing Robards, if you have a team and an online store need for custom garments, apparel, anything like that, um, reach out via our email and you'll hear that at the end of the podcast here to me. And I'd be happy to set something up for you. We're starting to do a little bit more for different clubs throughout the country. And it's been awesome to kind of pair this love of diving and my real job um, all together. So without further ado, we'll, uh, we'll get to Karen. All right. Um, you know, Dr. Kogan, can you just take our listeners through your journey of kind of where you came from your background and walk us through what your position now entails with uh, the U S Olympic committee? Sure. It- it is quite a long journey because I've been at this for a while, but I'm going to pare it down a bit here. <laughs> um, um, I started off as a gymnast, so 10 years of competitive gymnastics, and I learned in doing that sport how crucial the mental aspect was because I knew that some days I did better than others, and a lot of that had to do with the headspace that I was in at that point. And in college, I went to UCLA to compete in gymnastics there. In college, I had a bad knee injury, which then also further highlighted the mental health aspects of when an athlete is injured, is taken out of a sport. I ended up retiring earlier than I had intended to, and that was difficult. So I have always emphasized athlete mental health in addition to the sports psychology part of what I do or more of the performance aspect. I, I guess on, on the upside of having a bad injury like that, it did allow me to focus more on my career. So I was able to go through UCLA as an undergrad and got a master's degree there also in kinesiology and then a doctoral degree in psychology from Ohio State University. And so now I'm a licensed psychologist and can help athletes with any sort of mental health concern. And I'm also a certified mental performance consultant, which is the sports psychology or mental skills training certification. So I'm able to do all of those things. And you know, I've always believed that athletes are whole people and we can't separate out their performance from who they are. And so anything that's going on in their lives also can impact their performance. So I think in combining these two degrees, it's really allowed me to work with athletes in any area that they're concerned about. And some choose to work with me in both. Some only want to work in one. You know, it's really up to them what they do. So I, um, I started off my, my professional career at the University of North Texas, and I worked in the counseling center there. I taught classes. I did work with the athletic department some and had a private practice. And there I began working with Olympic sports and started off working with skiers, mobile skiers. So that was my first consulting job in the, at the Olympic level as a sports psychologist. And having had that experience and then having gone to three different Olympic games, when the full-time job came up at the USOPC, I jumped on that and now I have 10 different sports that I'm responsible for. And, <laughs> and it's a bit of a juggling act sometimes, but I came in to work with the acrobatic combat sports and the acrobat sports, I got that covered. I understood those well. The combat sports, I had less experience with, but I've really grown to understand and appreciate what those athletes have to do. And, and they are different. There are slightly different ways that athletes approach those two types of sports. 
So I did that for a long time. And then about a year ago, we had a reorganization here and I took on this lead role. And at the time I was the lead of sports psychology. Now we've combined our mental health and sports psychology departments. And now we're all just psychological services providers. We all do all the work across the spectrum of psychological care. And so now I'm a lead psychological provider. I still work with the acrobat and combat sports and I have several other administrative responsibilities, but I still love being with the teams. I love traveling with them, going to their events, seeing them through the difficult times and the good times. And, and so that's where I am now. Wonderful. Very good. Yeah. You mentioned um, your work with the acrobat and combat sport athletes. What are some of the similarities you see in those sports? Um, if any. Well, the sports themselves are very different, but when, when you're looking at the mental training aspect of it, I think there are many more similarities than differences really in any sport. And, and so we're trying to teach athletes to deal with distractions, to deal with pressures, to perform their best when it counts the most. And that's the same in, in all sports. The, the actual way of how they get to the success or how they compete in their sport can be very different. And so you've got the acrobat sports, which typically is just a single individual out there performing, or in the case of diving, we've got the, the um, team part of the competition, which is the synchro event. And, and some of our other acrobatic sports have a team component as well, but really it's just the individual athlete out there. With the combat sports, you're dealing with an opponent. And so you, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. And so athletes can spend a lot of time looking at who's the opponent, what do they compete like? What do I need to know? Or they can spend more time internally on their approach and sort of running the match their way. And so there are these differences that way in terms of how they prepare and the kinds of things they think about. The other thing with the combat sports is a lot of them are weight category sports. So they also have this weight cut that they may have to go through in addition to preparing for competition, which is just adds a whole other layer of stress and and obviously in the, in the acrobat sports there is that body image awareness and so you know athletes are concerned about weight but it doesn't prevent them from competing if they don't make a certain weight so so there are some differences that way but really in terms of the mentality i would say there are probably more similarities and differences in what makes a great athlete we're going to back to that combat sport aspect for just a moment we're going to talk a lot more diving later but i'm curious in your experience, has there been a, you know what, a strategy that works better or is it totally person-based, you know, going back to that conversation of, okay, studying your opponent, this is what they do. Here's how I need to prepare it for that. Or just internalizing, figuring out yourself and then taking that to the, to the match, to the competition. Is there one that works better or is it totally different per person? Yeah, I would say I always have to fall back on everyone's an individual. And for some athletes, there's something that works that I would never have expected. And, you know, others, it's the opposite. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I really very much emphasize the individuality. But what I find oftentimes in with the combat athletes that I speak with, I, I find that they are so over-focused on the opponent and what's the opponent doing and what do I have to do to adjust to the opponent that they forget what their own strengths are and, and I, and we do talk about that a lot, you know, how can you go out there using your strengths? How can you run the match? You know, don't, don't rely on your opponent to run the match. 
and, and reacting to them, but you know, you go in there with a plan and, and I actually think that that can be pretty useful. Um, but at the same time, they have to all um, be ready for different kinds of approaches from their other opponents. They can't always do it the same way. So they have to have some awareness of what the opponent is doing too. Sure. Wonderful. Um, you know, outside of maybe the obvious parts in terms of like maybe attending Olympic events or international events, what is your favorite part of working with these world-class athletes? You know, I, there's so many. Uh, and the first thing that comes to mind really is the relationships that I have built with these athletes. Some of them, I, I came to the USOPC in 2010. So some of these athletes I've actually known for 13 years now and counting and some more than 10. And I've seen them through a lot. We've been through a lot. There's just so many conversations we've had. And and there's this sort of insight into this athlete life that I think the outside world doesn't see. And, you know, the challenges they face, how hard they work, just all of that and the pressures around competing. So I, but it's building those relationships and it's not only with the athletes, it's with the coaches, it's with, with the staff, you know, taking diving, for example, I've traveled to several world championships with that group. And it's always different. The composition is always a little bit different, but there are a lot of commonalities in terms of people who've been to many of the world championships and, and just building those relationships over the years and, and seeing athletes grow and change and, you know, go to their first world championships at 17, and then they're getting an Olympic medal in their twenties at some point, you know, those, those are just really, really amazing experiences for me. Very cool. So when it comes to divers as people and as athletes, what areas that coaches, excuse me here, what are areas that coaches excel? And then what are areas that coaches struggle in terms of the sports psychology aspect? You know, that, that's a, a very interesting question. And, and again, it, it really depends on the individuals, but I would say um, in the diving world, I have found a lot of openness to what I do. So coaches are interested in the mental game plan and athletes are interested. And, and a lot of the reasons the athletes are interested is because the coaches are too. So anything that the coaches encourage is something that the athletes are, are going to more likely find useful. So I think in that way, you know, being open to the mental side of the game, you know, coaches are typically really focused on the physical side of the game and that is their job. And sometimes forget that the, the head also plays a role. So we want to make sure athletes have good mental skills and coping strategies and things like that. And, and so I've found in the diving world that so many coaches are really open to that and ask me questions and they want to know how can I help my athlete in that regard? You know, it's not their forte perhaps, but how could they integrate some of the skills that I teach the athletes into their training sessions? Um, in terms of struggle, I, I would say that you know, I think some coaches just aren't as open to the mental game or they think that um, I'm going to get inside the head of the athlete. But I guess I would say I have news for everybody. Athletes are already inside their own heads. And, you know, so what I'm trying to do actually is get them out of their heads. So I'm, I'm on board with that whole idea. And, you know, we talk about not overthinking and, and um, working more on staying with the process and letting the body take over in terms of the instincts that it has after doing the dives repeatedly. So you know, I think, I think some coaches aren't quite sure about what I have to offer and maybe um, are hesitant to be open to it. And, and that's usually the reason that I hear. Sure. That, that's perfect. You know, 
So what are some entry level things coaches can do, or maybe like a first step to help their athletes with their mental side of the, the game, or as you call it, like the mental game plan? Well, there are a lot of really good basic mental skills out there. Things like breathing techniques, imagery practice, mindfulness practice, and those can be taught in a variety of ways through books, through apps, through having someone come in. I do a lot of those things virtually. Uh, we At the USOPC, we have some virtual drop-in mindfulness sessions that any Team USA athlete can join. And so there are lots of resources out there for coaches to learn about mental skills and athletes to learn. And you don't necessarily need to work with a sports psychologist or a psychologist to learn those things. So, so those are, and there's a good book too. It's called Mind Gym by Gary Mack. And it's very good, basic instruction on those mental skills. And so coaches can read it. Athletes can read it. Even, you know, pretty young athletes can get something from that to start to understand, you know, what's the role that the mind plays and what are some of the things that we can do to, to help keep good mental health and good mental performance. So I think those are some places to begin. And certainly talking to someone like me about what, what kinds of things can you implement? You know, are there some group sessions that you can have where someone introduces those topics and skills and athletes get to practice them a little bit and coaches get to practice them. And then the coach can understand when to integrate those into their training sessions, even when the sports psychologist isn't there. So I think there are some really great basic things that we can start to get athletes familiar with these skills early on. Perfect. Thank you. Very good. And this next one, I, I'm kind of going to out myself a little bit. Um, my question here is what is we, what can we as a podcast do to make sure we're not getting in the way of the athletes? We've had many people on and we're starting to become very good friends with these people at high levels of all kinds of competitions, whether it's international, national, junior level. Really going back to that question, I am so fearful that if I reach out and say good luck, that's going to bother them and they're not going to perform their best simply because, oh man, you know, Aaron said good luck. What can we do to make sure we're not getting in the way? Well, that also is a very individual thing. You know, there's some athletes out there who just thrive on that, you know, hearing those sorts of things and others who really want to get into their own zone and don't really want to talk to anybody. And so I would ask them, you know, I would say, look, I really want to support you. And is it okay for me to say good luck or, you know, would you rather just me leave you alone? And so, you know, certainly if you know them enough, that's not a difficult question to ask, but I, you know, I think generally tell someone good luck and hey, pulling for you or whatever is is probably not going to interfere too much. And and they are used to hearing things like that. Perfect. Good deal. So then my next one here, um, I was at USA Nationals. I noticed you on deck kind of interacting and we obviously won't get into any specifics, but can you explain your role when you're at those big meets? Yeah. The, so with diving, and every sport is a little bit different, but with diving, what we've established is, is I have ongoing relationships with many of the athletes and the coaches already over many years, and and we meet separately outside of competitions to develop a game plan. So we already are working on things, and and others speak to me every so often, or just when there's a problem, or maybe just at competitions or camps. You know, it's just really, I'm very individualized in terms of what an athlete wants and what they need, and never any requirements, right? They can work with me in whatever way is best for them. 
And, and so, so many of the athletes, especially those on the national team or those who have been on world teams, I've known them for a long time and through many competitions. And so what I do is I, I come to events and I try to be available with, without getting in the way, you know, so try to be on deck, try to be available. And if an athlete, I try to also sometimes sit alone, you know, so if an athlete wants to talk to me, they can come up and sit down and say, Hey, can we chat? And, and yes, we can. And, you know, normally I was trained as a psychologist. You're in an office, it's private. Nobody knows. It's all very confidential. I can't even acknowledge that I'm working with a client, you know, it, it's that private. And I think we're getting away from that in the sports world where athletes are acknowledging, yeah, I you know, work with sports psychology or I get mental health support. And they don't mind sitting down on the deck there where lots of people can see and talking to me. And, and of course, you know, no one can hear what our conversation is. It's private in that way. But the fact that athletes are reaching out and they want to talk about, well, how can I best prepare for competition tomorrow? Or I noticed that things were going well, but now I feel a little bit nervous. And now I don't feel like I'm quite as confident, you know, what are some things that I can try? So, you know, it might be conversations like that. It might also be conversations about things they need from their coach. Cause I might be working with the coach too. The coaches will also ask me a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And that is the main time I see coaches. They can call me outside of competitions and camps, but, but oftentimes on the pool deck in the middle, you know, between what they're coaching, they will ask me questions about things or they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I can't seem to get through to this athlete or this one dive. I can't, I don't know what to tell them. I've tried everything I can think of. Maybe there's a mental component that we should think about. And so we'll talk about that and I'll give them some ideas and they'll try it with the diver. And, and a lot of times it's actually pretty helpful to have a different perspective like that. You know, when you've been telling a diver the same thing over and over again, maybe there's a different perspective at that point. So I try to make myself available to athletes, coaches, staff, you know, any, anybody I'm there for the entire community when I'm at those events and, and it's never the same thing twice, you know, the things that come up um, the challenges, there's some very challenging situations sometimes. It's never the same thing twice. And I think that's one of the things I really like about this job. That That's amazing. Um, one of the questions I just thought of as you were talking is your job sounds so awesome. Like just the experiences you gain, the relationships you build. What's the biggest challenge you face in your job and in your role? Well, right now, and especially having taken on these administrative responsibilities, I have way more work than I have hours in the day. And so I do work on weekends sometimes or later into the evening and, and it still feels like I never get it all done. And, you know, I love both parts of what I do. I love, I love all aspects of what I do. And so I want to do all these things, but you know, there's just one of me. So, so that really is the biggest challenge right now, I think is, is balancing it all and making sure that I still have time in my own life to, for self-care and for the things that are important to me. And I don't want to be burned out on these trips before I even get there. So right. um, I think that that is really the hardest thing right now is balancing everything. And because now there's so much more awareness of athlete mental health and mental training, and we're getting so many requests from all of our sports, we've fortunately been able to hire additional staff. So that is pretty helpful, but just the demand is out there. And so trying to decide how we're going to meet those needs and in a new department with new staff and hiring even more people, you know, it's, it's become huge and, and it's almost 
like we've gotten ahead of ourselves before we figured out how we're going to do this exactly. So I think those are the biggest challenges right now. And it's the center of a lot of our discussions at the administrative level. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, very nice. Um, we're going to get into our signature questions. And actually, I reworded my first one from another sports psychologist that we had on the podcast previously. I used to ask, what's your favorite failure? Failure, kind of a tough word, harsh word sometimes. She said, why don't you reframe that and say best opportunity for growth? So from that perspective, what would you say something maybe in your life that didn't go the way that you had hoped, but it provided a really good opportunity for growth? Yeah, there've been several of those. I'll try to, I'll try to pick one. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is, is way back when I was first a sports psychologist for the U.S. ski team. And I was at my first Olympic Games in Salt Lake City in 2002 with them. And, you know, that didn't, I, I mean, I'd been to competitions. I, I knew sort of what to expect, but I hadn't been to an Olympic Games in this capacity. And so it was, I was trying to feel it out and I didn't want to do anything wrong. And, you know, so all, all that stuff, newbie stuff. And, and normally when I worked with that team, you know, they start at the top of the course and then they ski down and they finish, but I would always be at the top of the course because they, they were waiting around up there, maybe had some questions. I could give them a few pointers before they went. And so in training, I was at the top of the course in other competitions, I was always at the top of the course. You know, but it was the Olympics and one of the coaches thought that it was getting kind of crowded at the top of the course. And he said, you know, I really think probably you should be down at the bottom of the course. You know, that way when they when they ski through, you know, if they have any concerns, they can talk to you. And I thought, well, this is not where I usually stand. And and I knew at that point, you know, it, it's usually a mistake to make a big change at the big event. Right. You want to sort of keep it the same. But not wanting to get kicked out of the Olympics and, you know, not wanting to upset the coach, I said, okay. So, you know, I went down and fumbled around trying to figure out where am I supposed to stand anyway? So um, there were two coaches at the bottom and I just kind of stood behind them and I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I, I don't feel very useful. You know, how is this going to work anyhow? And it's day of the competition. And, and I, I'm behind these two coaches and all of a sudden I see them turn around and I thought they were looking past me. And so I, I turn around too, like what's going on behind me? And no, they were actually looking at me. They're like, she wants to talk to you. So there's an athlete at the top of the course, like, where's Karen? I need to talk to her. And, and so we, at that time we had walkie talkies, you know, it was less than ideal in terms of the communication quality, but, you know, I, I talked to her a little bit, but it, it I, I didn't feel like I was there in the way I wanted to be for her. And, you know, she skied down and did not do her best and, it, you know, was very disappointed. And, and I thought, okay, no, that's it. I'm going back to the top of the course. You know, they are going to have to kick me out. And so I did, and I got up there and all the, the security people were said, well, where were you yesterday? Well, like you're always here, you know? So apparently it was a non-issue. And so I think what I, what I learned there was to trust your gut even when you think it, you know, it could get you into trouble potentially. And, and I have now in, in subsequent Olympics, I have used that because there will be other situations where it's a choice point for me and I'm not sure what to do. And I think, okay, I need to say this to the athlete, but it's going to anger the coach, mm -hmm. but this is a medal on the line. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I don't say this to the athlete, I'm really going to regret it. And so, I mean, it's just helped me make those decisions 
a little bit better. And and typically I have made the right decision in those cases. But you know, it just it's the gut check and and paying attention to that that I think has been very useful to me in my career. I I really really love that story. I mean, how many times have we all been in a similar situation where? either it's a boss or maybe somebody at home and it's, this is what we always do. This is what it, and then something changes. You're trying to impress whatever it might be. And sometimes you just got to go with the gut. I lo- I really, really enjoyed that. Um, so usually we are talking with USA diving coaches, athletes, anybody in the diving world. And I always ask, you know, what can USA diving do to improve? So I'll ask that same one to you. What can we do just simply as a country? to improve for, for diving specifically in terms of performance related to other countries. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Maybe not even necessarily that maybe just from your perspective, Hey, maybe it's just an awareness thing or a, Hey, let's lean into it more rather than maybe putting a guard up as a coach. Yeah. So good question. And you know, I mean, USA Diving, it's such a a big entity. I'm not quite sure how to answer that because one thing I would say would apply to one person and then not to another. But Mm. I I think you're referring more to coaches, aren't you then? Yeah, I would say yes. Okay. Um, You know, I think it would just be this openness that I mentioned before. And it doesn't mean you have to buy into every sports psychologist who comes your way and offers to help, you know, but just an openness to what are the other things that we can do to help our athletes. It's not just about the diving coaching, it's nutrition, it's strength and conditioning, it's the mental game plan, it's mental health. And so can we acknowledge the areas we don't know about and can we be open to or lean into other professionals that we trust, you know, we got to trust them. They got to work well with our teams and and our groups, but, you know, lean into those other knowledge bases because it is not just about the diving. It is really about a lot of these other things too. And and it's a complete package for the athletes. So kind of knowing what you don't know, I guess, is, is pretty important. And then being, being willing to ask for assistance in another profession. And I think that can be super challenging for coaches because they don't want to give up control of what's happening to their athlete. And that's very understandable. So you do have to pick and choose your, your team behind the team. But I I think that those things could be pretty useful. Yeah, absolutely. And you really kind of led right into my next one. I'm truly just going to skip that one. Um, What is your, why, what, what brings you, you know, the joy that you get doing what you do? Yeah. What gets me out of bed every day? huh? Yes. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, for me, well, it's the people, of course. I mean, in the end, it's it's all about the people. That's the most important thing and people having good mental health and good life experiences. And it doesn't always happen that way, but we, we try to support that in the end. And, but I think the things that really stand out for me are, are these experiences at the Olympics where, for instance, there's a team that I have worked with for years probably, and they've been through ups and downs and a team or an athlete, ups and downs, had challenges, injuries, things that didn't go well. And maybe they're not even favored going into the Olympics, but they get to the Olympics and everything comes together and there they are on the award stand. And 
you know, the rest of the world sees, oh, wow, you know, they got a medal. And I see that was years of work. That was so many setbacks and, and times that they questioned the future and injuries and, you know, tears and, and all this joy. And just to know that I've been a part of that journey, I think is very impactful to me. And then to see them achieve this goal on the world's biggest stage. I mean, it's just, it, it makes my heart happy. It's hard to describe just that intense emotional experience that I have. And it's not even me out there, right? It, and and I, I never want to take credit for any of it, but just to know what they've been through and where they ended up. I mean, that's the stuff that keeps me coming back to this job. Well, and it just has to be a special feeling knowing you're you're a part of that journey. And, and in, I would assume in most cases, if not all, you're a positive part of that journey, or at least you hope to be. So that I'm has to just... Yeah, like it just has to be so gratifying. Like when you see an athlete go through those struggles and come out on the other end and they can work through that. Because more importantly than athletics, like that's going to help them the rest of their life in whatever they pursue. So that's just, I understand why that is your why. Um, So Dr. Kogan, what is the best advice you have either given and or received? I would say both. So this one is both I received it and thought it was good. And so now I give it. Um, But when I was back in graduate school, there was this one TA who was amazing. He taught research methods and normally nobody wanted to take that class, but they all wanted to take it with him because he just was so excited about it and, and, you know, just made it interesting. And, and so as I got into graduate school and I was going to start teaching and presenting and doing all of this, you know, and I, I had, asked him well how do you do it you know like how do I be like you and he said well don't try to be like me because you never will you 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 can't be somebody else you have to find your own way you have to find your own style your own strengths and you will be successful that way but if you spend your time trying to be like me it's kind of wasted energy and and it's not gonna seem authentic anyhow and so and I did take that to heart and um and so you know as I mentor young professionals, or we talk about how we present here at the USOBC to our sports. You know, I talk about that with, with everyone about, well, how do you find your style? It's not going to look like anybody else's and you're going to be successful with that because it's you. And sure, there are always things you can improve and you know, that right. feedback helps you get better, but, you know, find what's you. And, and so I, I've, I've tried to do that a lot when I see someone else present. I think, oh, they're such an amazing presenter. I wish I could do that. And well, how do I find that in myself in my own way? That That's perfect. I think more coaches need to hear that, that you don't have to be the next Drew Johansson. You just need to be the first you. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's great advice. All right. This might be a tricky one, but who would you think could be a beneficial interview for us next? Whether that's an athlete you see on the pool deck that just seems interesting, a coach, another professional in your field, whatever you think uh, would be an interesting interview. Well, if you haven't already interviewed some of our other staff at the USOPC, we've got dietitians and strength and conditioning coaches and, and technologists and you know other people who are working with diving, yeah. but in a different capacity than I am and, and then coaches are. And, you know, like I said, we, we take a very integrative approach here and every piece of 
these this professional knowledge, I guess, is important to an athlete. So I can't really speak to the nutrition part, but our dietitians can, you know. Right. So I think that could be helpful to you guys next. Yeah, I 100% agree. Just we see that all the time on our coaches groups we're in on Facebook talking about strength training, nutrition, all of those things. So that's a that's a wonderful idea. We'll that's definitely a, have to connect. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and then this is just kind of a question that we've been asking, and I like how Aaron reworded this actually. What questions aren't coaches asking that they should be? You know, I think perhaps it's around the overall athlete well-being. And so, you know, athletes come in to the pool, they train, they dive, the coaches coach, they go home, and maybe some days aren't as good as others, or maybe a week is not as good as others. And and maybe it's good to ask, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. And just diving aside, how are you doing? And depending on the relationship that a coach has with, a, with an athlete, you know, the athlete may or may not be willing to disclose yeah. some of that. But but I just think athletes are dealing with a lot, you know, school, uh, parents, siblings, friends, if, you know, just adolescents growing into adults. That's a tough age range there as they try to um, choose a college, as they try to get on a, onto a, a national or world team. Just so many things going on that can impact them. And and I do think, I mean, coaches don't need to know everything that's going on in an athlete's life, but they should know some things. Yeah. more than just diving that I think can help them best coach their athletes and understand when the athlete maybe is struggling or under other pressure that maybe it is okay to back off in that moment. So I think just asking about general well-being. Yeah, I, I can only speak anecdotally, but I find that when I actually ask my first or second year athletes in our program, like, hey, how are you? Their answer almost always revolves around diving at first. I'm like, no, 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 I don't care about diving. How are you doing? How is school? How is your family? How are you? Right. It's like it almost throws them off. And then by the end, when they're juniors and seniors, that's like the question they like answering the most. And, and it's probably been one of the most beneficial questions I ask my athletes, to be honest. So I love that that's what you chose to to say. I think that was perfect. Um Wait, so, I think it's the culture you create as a coach, you know, are you yeah. open to knowing that this athlete is a person, they're not just a diver. And I do think that most athletes are going to appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before Aaron does our send off, Dr. Kogan, I just want to say thank you so, so much. Um, this has been one that I personally have been looking forward to for a long, long time. And I'm very grateful that you were willing to give us your time with how busy you are. Um, so thank you so much for your time this evening. Oh, well, thank you for having me. You know, I certainly love talking about all this and and I know it's going to reach a good audience. So thank you. And uh, before I do the send off, I actually got to give Heath a shout out for that uh, usage of the word anecdotally. Like <laughs> that was, I mean, you're sounding a whole lot smarter than you are there, buddy. That was, that was impressive. Way See, you, you forget and I'll say, well, now I'll tell Dr. You forget I have one master's in mental health counseling and I'm getting my second one in sports psych in the fall. I just, I just don't always sound that smart because all that we was, do is talk about timing. That was good. I was impressed with that. <laughs> all right. So I hit us up on Instagram. If you're listening, uh, we are at the diving pod. Our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, t-shirts, hoodies, hats, still available at divingpod.itemorder.com. Uh, enter divepod at checkout, all one word. That's free shipping. Um, yes, without uh, without going any further, I just wanted to say thank you again, Dr. Kogan. 
Um, always fun to see you on a pool deck and now really, really nice to uh, finally get you on the podcast and thank you again. You're welcome. All right. We'll see you next time.